Welcome to the Fit Fathers Podcast, Episode 4. In this episode, we address questions around children resistance training, modelling behaviour for your family, and where sleep falls in the priority order relative to training or other considerations in your life. Um, they don't have any um, any idea of what their body is doing um, when they're lifting weights. Like trying to copy me doing a dumbbell row, and the back is just completely bent. And I'm just saying, like, you need to flatten out your back. You, you need to have a, and it doesn't mean anything to an eight-year-old. You know, neutral spine. <laughs> they, they don't don't get it, um, and they just want to lift the most weight possible. Like, um, you know, oh, can I make it heavier and heavier and heavier until they just no, um, you're not doing it properly even at that weight. So. They right, think well, that it's about lifting the most weight possible. Full disclosure, you were getting into some good stuff there, so I just started recording you. We can just throw it in later. Yeah, fine. Um, yeah, but, yeah, I mean, sure. I agree with you completely. And one of the things I've noticed, too, is there's a huge difference between, like, kids that are 8 to 12 and kids that are little. Little kids mm. do everything almost inherently perfectly. Like, they haven't learned any bad habits. They haven't developed bad posture anything like that. Like my, like my son's posture is ramrod straight. Like he, he has like perfect posture. Um, his squats are He's beautiful. He's two now, right? Yeah. Is he two? Yeah. Um, but like you look at kids that are like 10 or 12 and they've been living the modern living long enough that they've started, they, you know, their posture's warped, their body mechanics are off. And now, now you got that concern. Like you said, they're going to ego lift or they're going to try to show off or all that. They've, they've been around the block long enough to develop bad habits that you have to actually un, undo. But little kids, if you start them when they're little, they do everything perfectly already. And then they could maybe got, um, sur- short circuit that whole process of becoming a, a modern modern human being, complete with the, the hunched over posture and the you know the poor posterior chain strength and all that stuff. We can maybe just avoid that altogether. So that would be a selling point for getting a little kid on it what do kids do all day like that they sit and sit down at a desk at school and then they come home sitting on the bus or sitting in a car and then they sit down and play games like video games um so that they're gonna have the same postural issues that adults have starting lifting um so yeah it you're, you're right about the bad habits and even even a child of eight will have them um and everything's a competition especially if they have siblings so um yeah, it's all about lifting as much as possible with one rep, you know. Oh, I lifted the biggest weight, you know. <laughs> um, let me see if I can find... Yeah, I've just got it here. So this is not heavy, um, but it's eight kilograms. I was really surprised that my my toddler picked it up because, I don't know, I think he, he weighs about, what, 13 kilograms. And he, he picked this up, which I, I was quite impressed by because, you know, it's like more than half his weight. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, my little guy does that. He cleans up my plates. Yeah, I mean, he can't pick up the big ones, but he'll pick up, you know, ten pound plates, and he'll carry them across the gym and stick them on a yeah. on a on a, a barbell or a dumbbell that he can reach. Like, he, like these should be neatly put away, Dad. And he <laughs> and he'll like go sponge. back across yeah. the gym carrying them. And I mean, he only weighs about twenty five pounds. It's just a little guy. So yeah. yeah. 
they're like sponges because they they watch everything we do and then um they're just absorbing it all because yeah the reason why he picked that up was because i i was picking it up you know um and picking up other things um and they just watch everything so yeah if you're if you're working out at home expect your kids to want to join in yeah one of the questions was how do i get my family involved right and yep there's your answer you do it where they can see you doing it which i think is a huge point in favor of a home gym um yeah sure they'll see you get packed up to go to the gym every day and they'll see that you have a habit of doing that if you go to away to a gym but when you do it at home they can actually see with their eyes that you're doing the physical activity they can they can they can observe it in practice and i think that's super powerful especially for kids right like my girls still aren't real interested in a lot of structure but they're starting to talk about can you put us you know in a gymnastics class or in a ballet class and I mean, if it weren't for COVID, we, you know, we would be able to do that. Um, and that's exciting. But so they're not really super into the structure yet, but they see me um, hitting, hitting the gym on a regular basis and have since they were just babies. And it's definitely seeped into them that some kind of structured physical activity is valuable. And my son is like your son. He just like, he just can't wait to get after it down here. Right. Soon as yeah. he's old enough to follow instructions, I'll have him lifting weights because he, he's going to love it. And can you imagine what an advantage that will be? Just um, in you know, just, uh, there's probably more than just this. And I, I'm thinking of this because I used to be quite sporty at school and um, quite competitive. But can just imagine the advantage that will be when it comes to sports, because um, no other kids are doing that. There, there are no kids doing that. Almost um, none. Yeah, that's very, so few very that rare, the exception yeah. proves the rule. And I mean, I mean, also like, even, even if the other kids are into sports, they're not lifting, they're, they're way more likely to get hurt than your kid is. Right. Yeah. I think a lot of people don't realize why professional athletes lift weights. They don't lift weights to be better at their sport. For the most part, they lift weights so they don't get hurt. Right. Yeah. And the same is going to apply to children. contact sports you know you've, you've now got this all this extra padding around you and it's obviously not it's not fat that's also padding but it's it's like uh, useful tissue uh, and you build bone density as well by lifting weights you know you just become an object a bigger object a heavier object more powerful object yeah. a very common injury for kids for sports is uh like like what volleyball knee or whatever basketball knee whatever they call it and that's like especially with the girls they they play volleyball you know they jump and they land and they jump and they land but they don't have the posterior strength to absorb those falls properly those those yeah. contacts with the floor and eventually it gives them knee issues right so i mean how it, it's a simple it's a simple fix for most kids and that's just a little bit of posterior chain strength you build that up how, how many children don't need to have some kind of a, a knee surgery or take a long layoff from sports because they hurt their knee if yeah. you just and also, just get in the gym um no matter our intentions um of what we feed our kids um if they are building a bit more muscle which you know you, you are going to have a more muscular kid um but it's not a bad thing i think people would potentially if they hear muscular kid they they think that's a bad thing somehow those words almost are, juxtapositioning each other but it's not a bad thing and it's going to um enable them to 
be more resistant to the effects of the you know modern diet um which as your kids get older it becomes harder to completely protect them from you know with outside influences and the other thing is just like with adults if you decide you like uh you like the performance benefits from lifting weights and the kids will you start to eat to accommodate that right like you you start to inherently need to eat to accommodate your desire to increase your sports or your or your weight room performance so the other thing is that those kids that are chasing better athletic benefits and and health in the gym they're more likely to eat correctly to complement that so that's going to set them up for a lifetime of you know it's going to encourage them to eat in a way that sets them up for a lifetime of of better health um even if it's just that they get more protein and they prioritize whole foods as a significant part of their diet and maybe don't drink as much pop as their peers that would that would set them way apart um yeah are you talking about on a conscious level so um they know that they're they are doing this um structured um resistance training so therefore in order to get the maximum benefit from that they have to eat a certain way so you're saying it's a on a conscious level yeah well eventually yeah yeah, you know eventually becomes kind of unconscious but like one of the things that i've noticed is when people take up there there's an argument out there do you start with diet or do you start with training well i mean it depends right but if you're motivated to train but not so motivated to eat well at some point you're going to come to the conclusion you got to eat better to progress your training so that might be a, a good way to get children you know if you get them training early on at some point they're gonna you're gonna be able to show them okay now when you eat better you you you're getting more progress in the gym and you know i'm hope i my hope would be that especially like preteens and teens they would establish those that value of food is fuel and food is building blocks it's not just about pleasure early in life so they wouldn't fall into that trap that their peers do when they hit about 20 which is oh all this junk food i eat is killing me right because there's like a tipping point there when you're when you're a kid you can kind of if you're reasonably active you can kind of get away with eating whatever you want or at least that's how it seemed when i was a kid yeah and then all of a sudden you're in your 20s or something and and you it's like you you just fell off a cliff like everything everything comes back to bite you and you've have this long standing habit of eating poorly because you could whereas the kids who who value a little bit more performance maybe you could instill that that complementary eating piece earlier in life and just imagine the dividends that pays through their adulthood they never end so, up in that um, trap i'm i was 25 when i started training and you hit the nail on of of why why i started training so i used to get away with a terrible diet um and i ate well as a kid growing up my parents cooked good meals and bought good food but there weren't many restrictions on what i was allowed to do um so i was like the young i was the youngest and i was six years younger than my nearest sibling so i think by the time they got to me um they're a bit more relaxed about certain things um and i could just help myself to stuff in the fridge and if i ate all of it more would be bought you know and i say fridge fridge cupboards um and you know i'm talking about like chocolate bars and stuff so um stuff was just there and there was never like an much limitation on me i don't ever remember being told you know you've had two of those already you've got to stop 
Yeah. You know, I, I was kind of just allowed to police it myself and I, I never got overweight um, because probably I was, I was tall and I was active um, and I didn't, I think as a, as a kid, I didn't take it too extreme, but I think as I got older, I, those habits got worse and worse. Um, and then by the time I was 25, I, I wasn't doing sports anymore because that kind of stopped when I left school. Um, and I was spending more time just sitting down at work, um, not walking because I started driving. Um, and I did start to notice and I was like, this is really weird. This has never happened to me before in my life. I thought I was like a lucky person that just would always be back then I probably would have said thin um you know but when your lifestyle habits change it's it's easy for a, a bad habit to get worse and then that to become the new normal and then um the new normal becomes worse again and then you have another new normal um and eventually you realize oh damn I'm, I'm really I don't have good habits here and I'm not in a good, I'm not in good shape. Um, and then it's really hard to fix that. Absolutely. Because you've, you've, you've created these uh, feedback loops in your brain um, and these, these kind of habits and addictions and they're very hard to break. And for me, it was training that came first. So you, you said about training first or diet first. Um, it was training that came first. I shared this as a tweet this week, actually. Um, I said that I got a free gym membership as part of a, a at my job. And just decided to use it because it was free. And some of the other people that I'd made friends with were going. Quite a lot of them were actually. So you know, it was kind of a social thing as well. Um, and then I really got into it. Like I realised that oh, I'm actually I could be quite good at this. Um, and then it was right if I, you know, that that led me to research it. When when I when I kind of um, get into something, I really go in on it. Um, and I, I kept become a little bit obsessed for a while. So I was like re doing research online and realising that I had to eat better. Um, yeah, and it's, it went from there, really. Anyway, you didn't ask you didn't ask for that story, but there you go. No, it's a good story. I, you know, I, I can relate to that quite a bit because um, although it took me longer to sort it out, uh, I had a kind of a similar experience. Like growing up as a kid, I was I was active. My kid, you know, I tried out a, a, a few different sports. It was never uh, that's that's a story for another day. Why I was in the sports that I was in and all that kind of thing, um, but. One of the things I did as a teenager for a few years was I was a competitive swimmer, right? So, and then in my late teens, uh, I couldn't afford a car. So I rode a bike everywhere, like all summer, especially like I was on my bike all the time. And then I got to college and I started, you know, drinking and eating a lot of what, just sort of whatever I'd get my hands on because I was always working or in school. And I wasn't very active anymore. And it, it was like exactly what you said. Like it, it revealed really quickly to me how bad habits pile up and make you feel a, a lot worse. Um, so, and then there was a gap there where even though I, I did kind of clean that up a little bit for a little while, then I got very, very ill. And that, that tied me down for a period of time. But in my, in my thirties, it really, it really hit home for me. Like, if I don't do something about this, you know, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be pretty ugly. I, I had a pretty strong sense of what it felt like to be unhealthy and to be weak and sick. And I knew I didn't like it. And I knew if it was bad when you were in your thirties, it was going to be really bad when you were in your fifties. And that pretty much got, got me, 
looking into what I could do and it took me a little while. But when I discovered resistance training, it was exactly like you. I got super obsessed. I had to know, I had to, I had to learn as much as I possibly could. I read everything that I could get my hands on. Um, especially like I read a lot of articles and things because I had these, you know, I had these babies. And so I'd have these little snippets of time. So I would, I would read bite-sized amounts of information whenever possible and it was just like that dove right in discovered i loved it and then it, it started stacking on more habits so i you know i i thought oh i'll just i'll just outwork the food choices that i that i make and then it was like that's not working <laughs> <laughs> so uh I, i'm gonna i'm gonna eat a little bit better and it just got better and better and better as i stacked those habits and i i feel like there's a pretty strong chance that if you did that with kids who have even more room to uh, even more room, more flexibility in their lives to, to get some stuff wrong and to take a little longer on the journey. I, I feel like the dividends would pay so far down their lives because they would have that muscle memory, right? So let's say you got your kid in, in pretty good shape as a teenager and like all the other kids that kind of fall off the wagon a little bit in college. Well, the chances that they're going to come back around to it and that they have foundational habits that they can that they can pull out of their toolbox and get back to, that's better. And they've got that, like I said, the muscle memory. So they already have built up a strong and healthy body once before. So it's going to be easier for them when they decide to get back to it. Um, and, you know they're just going to be on a stronger foundation later in life than the people who have to wait until they're adults to even discover this stuff is important and relevant. So I guess my advice would be while you're getting yourself in shape, model it for your kids. And if they're interested, take the time to teach them, to involve them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's a good point about the muscle memory because um, I can actually relate to that a little bit. Um, so I remember one of my, my sister, um, who is eight years older than me when I was about, I think I was 11. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I was 11. Um, she had a, a boyfriend who was, um, he was an RAF training, training to be an RAF pilot. Um, and, um, he, so RAF is the Royal Air Force, British um, Royal Air Force, just in case anybody doesn't know. Um, and I kind of thought that was really cool. Um, you know it is um so i was kind of a bit impressed by him already um and then um i, I don't know how it got around to this but i remember him saying and i still remember the pretty, i think these are the exact words um for some reason we were talking about exercise and he just said just do just do push-ups in your room every night um and he said if you, if you can keep doing them and build your way up to being able to do 10 push-ups and then two lots of 10 push-ups then three lots of 10 push-ups and then kind of go from there, you'll be a big boy. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. So every single night, that was it from then on. And looking at that now, I know that's not the best training program in the world, um, but um, I did see some development from that. Um, and that was kind of motivating. And then I think I, I carried this on for a couple of years and it, it kind of it expanded to include other things uh, like crunches, um, I didn't do any pull-ups. I didn't do anything for my back because I didn't know that I should. I didn't know how. Um, you know, but it, I, I mentioned before that I had like this old iron, like the kind of iron that you heat on top of a stove. So I was using that to kind of do like um, shoulder presses and well, biceps curls and everything. 
Um, and I did see some some development over a couple of years, and then I stopped it all. Um, and what's interesting is I can dig out a picture of myself where I was must have been about 15, and I looked fairly good for a 15 year old. Like, um, and then there's another picture of me years later where I've stopped doing it, and I'm like smaller than I was when I was 15. Um, and then obviously I have recent pictures. So it's interesting to see muscle memory. I, I reckon that probably helped um, because when you when you stop working out for a long time and then you go back, you do notice how, how quickly it comes back and it's quicker than it took the first time. For sure. All you need to do is just have a forced layoff to see how that works. Yeah. Yeah, it's way quicker. Um, but I mean, so there's there you go. Like you can you can give this child or all of your children, the the gift of at least uh, an easier return to fitness, should they so choose to do so later in their life, hopefully they would just stick with it. I mean, in, in a perfect world, that'd be your best outcome, would be children that have good health habits that carry them all the way through their lives, because it's certainly, um, the return on it is certainly better the longer and more consistently you know that you stick with it but every bit that you do counts you know that's that's going to contribute to their their health their safety their longevity i mean even little things like accidents right i mean you can't control the safety of the world but people who are in shape are more survivable against all forms of injury basically i mean obviously there's exceptions but you get in a car accident or something, who, who's more likely to make a recovery from it? The person who has sizable muscle mass, strong bones, um, good connective tissue, or the person who is extremely fragile because their body is weak and their posture is poor and their joints are not very stable. And I mean, that that's not even a tough call. So that would be my hope is that people would recognize it's one of the best things they can do for themselves. And it's one of the best things that they can model and or teach to their children and the mental benefits are huge um i don't know exactly how it works um but i i know i know that it's a thing um it's, it's probably to do with seeing improvements coming from repeated actions repeated small actions adding up to big compounding benefits um and i think that's something that you can track that translates into every area of life um but um most people um and not not just most people everyone and i'm including myself as well because i'm not trying to say that i'm you know superior or anything like that but um it's very common to give up when something is hard and you know it's hard and you know that you suck at it so when you're at the stage where oh this this is difficult and this to get good at this thing i'm, I'm going to need to invest so much time and learn so much stuff and keep practicing so for so many days and put so many hours into this until I'm good at it. It just is so sometimes and very often it's just too big an obstacle to overcome. Um, but I feel like um, weight training, resistance training um, helps you to overcome that same challenge in other areas of life. Yeah, I, I think so too. The, um, I, are you familiar with the, you know about school cutoffs, right? You know how they, when you're when they're putting a child into school they say like you must start your child in in grade school by this time if they're if they're six years old 
before January 1st or something like that, right? They have like a cutoff. It's usually in the, it's usually right around like December or January, depending on what part of the world you're in and your local school board and all that kind of thing. Uh, I'm not sure if it's the same here. It, over here, it's everyone starts when they're four or five. Um, and the only people who will start when they're five is if they um, happen to have a birthday in September before the start of term. So term might start on the 6th of September and their birthday might be the 3rd of September. Then they're going to be five when they start. But most people are four. Okay. They'll have their fifth birthday in that first year. Yeah, you know, it's a similar idea. Um, you don't start school until unless you will be the right age by the cutoff date kind of thing. So the kids whose birthdays are a little later in the year or like in the winter start school older than the other children, right? Because oh, they weren't, right. yeah, they course, weren't yeah. old enough when the school year started. So I'm like, I'm one of those, I'm one of those kids actually. So when, um, when's your birthday? It, it's like late. I, I miss like I, I miss the cutoff. So you were I one started. Of the no, I was one, one of the oldest. oldest. Yeah. Oh, okay. Right. So when I graduated high school, um, I was already eighteen. So, so anyway, the reason that this is important, and they've done studies on it, is that the older kids, on the average, are the bigger kids. They're slightly more mature, so that they tend to be in the early years of school. They tend to be very successful because they kind of come in with a little bit more maturity and it's the same with sports and stuff. Usually the cutoffs are similar. You're in the younger age group category, even though you're one, of, you're the oldest kid in that category kind of thing. So then what ends up happening is in the early years, these kids tend to be more successful they, or at least they have a better chance to be more successful. And so they end up being winners at life because they get a whole series of wins coming all the way up through childhood, right? So they, they're very confident. They're confident and winning breeds more winning. So it's kind of like that with resistance training. You teach yourself you can do it. And then you can do the next thing, which is even bigger. And you do the next thing, which is even bigger. And you, you learn to string up a whole series of wins. So the psychological effects probably pretty similar. You know, you develop confidence because you get a track record of success. Yeah. I, I, I see what I see what you're saying now. Um, and it was just making me think that what, what age do kids start school over there? Uh, like six for kindergarten. Wow. Six for grade one. Yeah. Six for kindergarten. Usually. Okay. The younger so over here, it's still be six when they start grade one, but they'll be. So we have something called reception, which I think is the same as kindergarten, but it's, um, still in the same school so we have primary school um which is the first type of school anyone goes to um although there is nursery as well which is just but nursery is um not um is not mandatory yeah we call it you go preschool to, yeah um we go so then reception is the first year of primary school and kids are four when they start reception and if they're born in september they will turn five almost immediately so those are the old kids and then there are some kids in that same school year starting at the same time who have only just turned four because their birthday was in August. Um, so then they're only turning five at the end of the year. And that's just a huge difference at that stage of your life because that's like 25, 20, 20, 25% of your life yep. difference to the other kids. So that, that's a lot. Um, and that makes a big difference. And it makes a huge um, difference when you're a preteen too. 
because the kids who get puberty early and are already the older kids, those end up being the, you know, the kids that peak in high school kind of thing. You I know? can remember, um, I was on, um, I was on the rugby team, um, and my birthday is in January. So I wasn't the oldest or youngest. I was kind of in the middle, uh, maybe a little bit towards the older side. Um, and there were a couple of guys and for some reason it seemed to often be like the, the guys who had like, um, who had like a more of a Mediterranean background, like they, they may have come from, um, Greek or Turkish background because they just had more body hair as well. Um, and some of these kids at age of 13, they already had their growth spurts. They had already had hair everywhere. Um, and they're already like getting muscular and big, um, and then there were kids in the same rugby team, usually playing in a different position where they were, uh, it was more about, it was more about um, getting the ball out of the scrum and, you know, a, a good accurate pass. Um, they were just like, looked like they were about four or five years younger, but they, some of them were, because you know, they hadn't had puberty as well. And it was just crazy that those people, those, those boys are in the same team in a very uh, compact, uh, sorry, contact heavy sport like rugby. Uh, yeah <laughs> and you can see how um at that age physic the physic your physicality your physique would have a huge impact on your mental state because um you know that the, the huge kid who gets the ball that's going into a tackle faced with a smaller kid they're just gonna have he's just gonna have a different mental state going into that he just knows he's gonna be fine um and yeah, that, I think that that must have interesting, interesting uh, consequences later in life. Yeah, um, and even right because, then, socially, right? Like yeah. it's just, it's just so much harder to be assertive when you're, like you said, when you, when physically you're just far, far behind. So yeah, all the more reason to teach your kids because a kid who's been training is going to be a lot stronger and more confident than a kid who hasn't been. Even definitely. if they're smaller, which you can't do anything yeah. about. Yeah, definitely agree. Um, and I, I was one of those kids who was just naturally tall and naturally athletic. Um, so, I, and I think that this kind of, I, I think I might have been one of these these kids that you, you had the example of, even though I wasn't the oldest, it was as though I was. Um, and uh, life was just kind of happening for me. Um, things would just happen. And I would get good good grades, you know, without trying that hard. Um, and then when I left school and when school was all over, it took me several years to like quite a long time to realize that stuff doesn't just happen for you anymore. When you're an adult, you have to actually like make it happen. And I was quite old when I realized this only in the last few years when I really realized it. Um, and I don't know how you instill that in your kids when, when, uh, cause I would like to try and instill that in mine that, you know, you have to make life happen for you. It's not always just, you're not going to go through life on a, on a script forever. Um, because it is a bit like that when you're a kid, everything's kind of just set up for you. Um, and you've got these checkpoints that you go through. Yeah. We and spend they... childhood, we have them on a rail, right? Yeah. They don't have to make a lot of the bigger decisions. Like, like they, we, they, a lot of their time is, is set aside already. And they're just going to be where they're going to be because that's been decided outside of themselves. And then all of a sudden you enter adulthood and it's like somebody just threw the, the gates open and said, like, welcome to the big old world. Figure it out for yourself. And, and I think like 
it's really important to make sure that they understand that that's what's going to happen at the end, not just find out kind of like, oh, here's what adult life looks like. You're on your own. It's yeah. tough though. You, I think you have to actively instill that and, and you have to remember from your adult perspective that children don't know that. Only you know that, so you have to teach it to them. Yeah, I, I don't know how many. I don't know if many people manage to do that. Um, I, I don't know either. I, I think I think when kids reach a certain age, because I can remember being that age, um, you can't get through to them <laughs> on things like about life. Like um, they think they know everything, but yeah, I don't know. I haven't got kids that age yet, so we'll I don't see. know. Um, it, start you start early and you just keep at it and you hope it takes like my daughters are five and we've gone through phases where you know like i've been trying to teach them stuff like you know manners right they 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 sort of know they were really good with it at three and then we went through a whole phase and they were four and couldn't get a please or a thank you out of either kid and just stayed after it and after it and after it and you start to give up thinking oh this is never going to happen and then all of a sudden they start being impolite again so obviously it's it sinks in on some level it just sometimes there's like a delayed effect or something else is going on maybe they don't feel like they're being listened to or valued enough so they're going to take it out on you by in a passive or aggressive kind of way because they're just kids and they one of the things that I always forget is kids don't have any power, right? And so it's really easy for a kid to feel powerless. And then yeah. it, what do powerless people do when they're angry? Passive aggressive things because they don't have the overt power to do anything else, but they still have that need to exert some kind of uh, influence on the situation so or to protest. So that's how they do it. Yeah, there's. <laughs> I'm just thinking of all the ways my son does that, um, and it's usually it's like um, refusing food, um, refusing to sit in his car seat, um, like just you put him in the car seat and he's immediately diving out of it, um, and then just like tantrums. He's learnt this thing now, which is really fun. If you if you pick him up away from something that he wants to do but you don't want him to do, like you know he wants to play in the garden at my sister's house on this massive slide she's got but we need to go we need to get in the car you pick him up legs are kicking like really kicking both legs at the same time back arching and screaming so that's that's a lot of fun you know so they just have they just um that's the only kind of power he has just to make it as difficult as possible um, yeah. that's his way of protesting yeah yeah, my son does the same thing when he's been thwarted, you know, he just, he grabs really hard onto whatever object. And then at the same time, he like, he like goes as limp as he can so to make himself really hard to hang on to. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he screams, no, no, right? How do, how do they learn that? Because my son does that as well. Like, how do they learn that? No one ever taught them that. And then you're trying to be like, listen, listen, I'm not, I'm not oppressing you. We just, we have to go. <laughs> Uh, you got to kind of like try to reason with a kid who, who isn't interested in hearing it. Yeah. The only thing that matters right now is, is doing that thing that he wants to do. Yeah. You, you come up with strategies though. Like when you need to leave, you start working towards that process like 10 minutes earlier. So when you're like, oh, we got to go now. And they're like, no, no, no. You're like, okay, I'll let you have, listen up. Here's the deal. I'll let you have five more minutes. <laughs> right. That's clever. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I need it doesn't always, always work. Stuff, yeah. 
Doesn't know. I'll try it. <laughs> but yeah, um, you just kind of learn to anticipate that stuff with kids. Like you, you build in little fail safes. Yeah. All right. What else have we got on the agenda? All right. Well, we've talked kids and lifting. Should they do it? Absolutely. Um, okay. So sleep. We should probably address the issue of sleep. Um, a lot of parents, right? They they want to they want to get after this. They want to they want to lift. They want to eat better, uh, but they're not getting a lot of sleep. You know, maybe maybe it's because they have really little kids who keep them up at night. Maybe it's because they're working two jobs because things are tough, right? Um, but or or they're on shift work you know that's a common issue too people who have sh schedules that they don't have control over their employer does and it's like two weeks of nights two weeks of middle day two weeks of early morning because that's the rule at their work everyone has to share in the pain equally um so that they're they're not getting enough rest what so would you what say that somebody should do well let's say like they should be getting seven or eight hours, but maybe a lot of days they get four to six hours sleep. Okay. Yeah. What would you, what would you, your go-to recommendation be if it was a client? Like, where would you start unwinding that? It's, it's a really tough one because there's usually reasons like that they want to get more sleep than that. Um, and there's, you know, life reasons and factors why they're not. I, one, one of the things that, prevent sleep is just not going to bed early enough um and i get it when you when you've got a busy life sometimes you want those few hours in the evening where you kind of unwind and you watch tv with your wife or, or husband and you read on your phone or whatever and just generally just just relax and chill out but um then when you get into bed put your phone down go to sleep <laughs> so don't actually do anything else in the bedroom you know the bedroom is is just for sleeping um you know and something else but you know we don't need to talk about that we won't talk about that <laughs> <laughs> yeah no we're both thinking it but <laughs> it has to be observed um so yeah going go to sleep so i'm terribly guilty of this um i, I did this the other night actually and i, I knew that i was going to get woken up early but i just could not stop um what youtube is the worst for it and that's what i was on but it's not always youtube um reading about something so I, I get like drawn into into certain topics as we've mentioned and this one was about um this is gonna sound really weird when i say this but this was about um a certain plane crash that happened um and i was just it wasn't recent it was about 10 years ago um and i was just reading as much as i could about it and watching videos about it documentaries about it and i'm just like i need to go to bed i need to go to bed i need to go to bed and another hour passed after i thought i need to go to bed before before i finally went to bed and and then i couldn't sleep because you know i've spent the last you well, missed you missed the window you went over yeah, tired yeah exactly and i had a i had a phone two inches from my face with a bright light you know putting you know in, injecting in, information into my brain from that distance so you know my brain's all like wired up um so then i got even less sleep and when you when you've got a child that wakes up when they you know you, you can't predict when they're going to wake up you can't predict how well they're going to sleep that's just a really bad idea so yeah just get off your phone put it down put it in another room so when you're going into the bedroom before you go in there put your phone on charge if that's what you do overnight most people do um and i, I put it on, in, on charge in the kitchen 
obviously I didn't do this the other night, but usually I put it on charge in the kitchen and then go to the bedroom and then yep. just go to sleep. That's smart. Um, what about you? Well, I would say I, I agree with what you said. And I, and I really sympathize with that problem of this is my me time. This is my only me time, right? Um, obviously there's going to have to be some balance there, but I think if you're getting down to the point where you're getting four or five hours of sleep, you got to ask yourself, do you really want that me time or would it be best for everyone? Uh, if you just, you prioritize sleep, like, like at some point you're, you're making really un, unreasonable trade-offs between getting a little time to yourself and some sleep. And you really got to take a hard look at yourself and ask yourself if your quality of life is, is headed in an upwards direction, if you continue the way you're going. Um, but yeah, I mean, sleep can be a tough one to get, uh, at night. If you're, if you're living with a little less sleep, but not a critically low amount of sleep, let's say most nights you get five and a half or six hours of sleep. And once in a while you manage to, you know, make an arrangement with your spouse where they maybe take a bit of a tougher shift in the morning on the weekend or whatever, manage all the kids so you can sleep in. And then the next day you return the favor or something like that. Let's say you get to that point and you want to be training. Uh, I would suggest really, 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 really making sure that you keep the training short and infrequent, like two, three days a week, because you're probably not going to recover very well. If you're chronically underslept, you, you're asking for real trouble if you want to work out four, five, six times a week. It almost doesn't matter even if it's a lot, if it's even if they're short. Workouts. I just feel like that's just a recipe to get hurt or or just to burn out. So I would that would be that would be my top recommendation would be keep it short, don't do it too often, and if you need extra recovery days, just take them. Be okay with a slower rate of progress. Yep. Um, I used to go to the gym um, early in the morning, so I used to uh, get up at about five um, and then commute into central London on the train and then walk from the train station to the gym. So by the time I got to the gym, it was about 6.30. Uh, so I wanted to give myself a nice long gym session before work started. Um, and I used to really notice the difference in my training when, when I'd had a bad night's sleep. Like I, I, if I had a bad night's sleep, I was not good in the gym. And I injured myself a couple of times. Like if deadlifts were on the agenda, for example, and I hadn't slept well, I, I would be more likely to injure myself. Um, and that's another thing as well, you know, training at that time in the morning. If I'm not great for drinking water, um, so if I hadn't haven't drunk well the day before, and I hadn't drunk anything that morning before going to the gym, um, not being hydrated and having a bad night's sleep, and then trying to do deadlifts, it's not not a good idea. Um, so that's another that's another thing worth mentioning. Um, but it's interesting something you mentioned a little a little further back than that about um, for the benefit of everyone, sacrifice some of that me time. Um, and go to sleep because that, that was me ex exactly um, last night because the, the night before that one was the one when I was uh, stayed up all night on YouTube um, and last night I, I was falling asleep on the sofa at you know nine o'clock um, which is not fun for my wife you know we're, we're, that's that's our time together um, after after our son's in bed so I, and then I, I wasn't present because I was falling asleep and then I could hardly stay awake every time she not notice me falling asleep she'd just be like why, why are you falling asleep um and then uh, you know i couldn't we couldn't enjoy the rest of the night because i couldn't stay awake 
Um, so yeah, yeah, for the benefit benefit of everyone, um, just sacrifice sacrifice the me time a little bit so that you don't have to sacrifice it a lot. Um, and uh, do you have any particular tips for how to set up your sleep environment better? Well, I mean, I do if you don't. I do if you haven't. If you haven't, <laughs> I, I, in theory, yes. Um, in practice, I'm not really great about it. Um, one of the reasons being that uh, my wife and I have divergent tastes on what makes a good sleep environment. So there's some compromise there, and that's, I mean, that's just a fact of life, right? That's one of the one of the one of the things about being uh, a parent. And being, um, you know, a married person, a, a member of a family, is that you're always making a degree of sacrifice, right? You don't have perfect control of your environment. You just and you you just won't because there are other people living with you, and you have to consider what works for them and find a happy middle ground. But yeah, I mean, make make your room dark, get it at a comfortable temperature, figure out what that is. Do you sleep well when you're a little better when when things are a little warmer, or do you need a little colder? Do what you can to make that happen. Um, and you know, some people sleep better with a little bit of background noise, right? One thing I've noticed is that in the summer, I actually sleep quite well when the air conditioner is on, <laughs> just going in the background with that white noise. I go to sleep much, much easier with that on. Um, other people may find that obnoxious and not be able to rest. So no, you know, you're going to have to know yourself, maybe, maybe experiment a little bit with it. Yeah. Um, a couple of interesting things there um white noise um so for for the listeners um my son mine mine and my wife's son um is 21 months old um and ever since he's a, a little baby um he slept with white noise um and this is just because right at the start he he was very colicky and he um uh wasn't sleeping well at all which is very common in the first sort of well, not sleeping well is kind of common in the first two years, but like in the first kind of two to three months, it was really bad. Um, so we we're trying anything to improve this situation. So we had this uh, white noise song, or for want of a better word, track uh, that you know you can find on YouTube or Spotify and just play that in his room at night. And we had the monitor as well. So we have the monitor playing the sound of his white noise into our room so that we could hear him when he wake up, but when he's not awake, we can just hear the white noise. So we've been sleeping with white noise for the last almost two years. And I, I don't know if I'll ever go back. Like, I really like it. <laughs> um, it's, it's just it's just nice. Like, it, I don't know what it is about it. Um, it. It's good for him because it means that um, even though it's quite loud, it doesn't wake him up. Um, he's just, but it, it muffles out other sounds. So if someone's talking really loudly in the next room, he can't hear it. Um, so yeah, it's, it's pretty good. Uh, so yeah, try to, um, my tips would be, if you have a child, try to uh, not, not let them wake up more often than need be. So white noise is useful if, if, they're, um, if they're at an age where you can get them used to that, because then um, you're, you're less likely to wake them up um, and unsettle them. Um, caffeine, uh, limit it to the mornings, ideally. Um, it's not that it will prevent you from getting to sleep if you're drinking caffeine later in the day but it will prevent, it will worsen the quality of your sleep. Um, so you, you'll sleep better if you're not caffeinated. And caffeine has a half-life, I think, of seven hours. So um, if you think, if you drink a, if you drink a cup of coffee um, at 
5 p.m. as I know some people do. Seven hours later is midnight, and half of that caffeine is still in your system, um, you know, while you're trying to sleep. So if you've had multiple coffees in the afternoon, you've got multiple coffees still in your system. Um, so what else was I going to say? Uh, yeah, drinking too close to, to bedtime. Uh, go, I like to go to the toilet immediately before I'm going to bed to, you know, to sleep. Like, you know, phone's been put down and everything. I'm, I'm going to the toilet and I'm going back into bed and trying to go sleep there and then. Um, to minimize wake-ups, right? You don't want yeah, to wake yeah. up and have that interruption in the middle of the night because exactly. that's yeah. if that's 20 minutes like from waking up to going back to sleep serious yeah, exactly. time lost and depends where where your bathroom is as well from from where you're getting out of bed so you might have to like get out of bed get cold from getting out of the covers uh walk maybe turn on the light it's just not ideal you're waking yourself up um and yeah temperature um i like the room to be something like 18 degrees that's in celsius i don't know what that'll be in fahrenheit um like yeah, six, some, somewhere 65. Between, yeah, yeah, 65. that sounds about right. Um, and yeah, that's all I've got, I think. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm sorry, light as well. So um, get some blackout blinds or blackout curtains. Um, that works for me. The darker, the better. Dark, cold, um, not noisy, and not waking up to go to the, to the bathroom. Yep. If you're not getting a lot of sleep, something that uh, I think probably needs to be addressed too is if you can't control getting more sleep, you, you got to dial in the other things as much as possible. So um, don't eat a lousy diet. Don't be dehydrated, right? Um, do make sure that you limit your drinking, things like that, because uh, all of those things are also, you know, all those things are affecting your recovery. Dr alcohol's going to depress your nervous system, all that kind of stuff. And that's only going to make quality of sleep worse that's going to make um recovery from from training worse and you just don't really have the the capacity left to to stretch yourself any thinner so so make sure your other habits are dialed in if you absolutely can't get the most amount of sleep you can't be abusing your body in other ways yep something's gonna have to give exactly yeah um and most people are sacrificing sleep um, to enjoy or optimize other areas. So, you know, sacrificing sleep to that, to go to the gym, um, you, unless, unless it means sacrificing every workout, obviously that means you're not going to work out at all, but you know, I would, I would rather sacrifice the odd workout to get better sleep than sacrifice my sleep to get in an extra workout, um, you know, and sacrificing sleep to work on, um, you know, self, um, projects like business ideas and things like that you know it, i can i understand why it might be necessary but it's never going to work long term um in my opinion yeah it better be a really short-term situation or or yeah. the or the accumulated effect is gonna take a toll that's gonna come due eventually like like exactly. with like with everything here like you you can cut a little bit of sleep for a while but if you do it for a really long time you're gonna pay a serious toll one poor night's sleep can lower uh, critical hormones like testosterone by a noticeable margin. Like I think it's like 40%. If you get like four hours of sleep one night, you can see your, te yeah. your free testosterone just drop, right? So, I mean, what's that going to do? You know, how is that going to domino through the rest of your life? 
you, you know, your hormones are out of whack. So then, you know, your energy level sucks and your mental acuity is, is going to be down and your, your desire and your motivation to push yourself to do the important things is going to be down and you're likely to make poor choices around your food. And, and then, so you're just going to find yourself in a situation where you're having to exert massive amounts of willpower to do the right things. And you won't, you just won't like eventually you'll fail. Um, there's no nice way to say it. You know, people who are operating on very low amounts of sleep do not make good decisions. They do not exercise um, good self-control and they don't execute on their actions with a high degree of precision or quality. So <laughs> any new parent will tell you that. I mean, you're just, you're just swimming through molasses in life. And yeah, you're just getting through it, aren't you? You're just, yeah. you're just, uh, you're just uh, like coping. Yeah. And so why put yourself in that situation voluntarily? It doesn't make any sense. I mean, if you absolutely can't stop it from happening, you make the best of it. But in the event that you can, make better decisions. Yeah. I mean, I can remember times when, um, when I got bad night's sleep and then at going at work the next day, I was kind of just turning up, doing the minimum, going through the motions, just getting through the day with the help of coffee. Um, and I can't imagine doing that for years on end. Um, and always just treating my work life like that, um, rather, you know, just, just getting through it rather than actually trying to excel and get better and, you know, get noticed and have the person be the person that the opportunities happen to, because you put in more than the minimum effort. Um, and then also, um, something else which you touched on, I absolutely noticed my, um, Firstly, my hunger levels. I seem to be more hungry when I'm, I'm, um, I've had less sleep. And um, secondly, my decision-making ability is awful when it comes to food. Like, I, w I have no willpower. If I'm really tired, I'll just eat whatever. Like, um, I, I have a much harder time just telling myself no when it comes to... It's exactly my experience, too. You know, I'll, I'll yeah, like, I'll happily eat. Um, like th there is a box of cereal in my, in my cupboard, which I never, which never gets touched like a chocolatey cereal. And if I've had a bad night's sleep, I'm, I'm going to see that the next morning. I'm much, much, much more likely to pour myself a bowl of that and have my eggs, you know, uh, whereas normally it, it wouldn't even enter my head. It's yeah. just things like that. It, it, that's exactly the, I mean, that's exactly what happens with the sleep. It's, um, it puts you, you know, it just puts you in a bad, uh, in a bad place mentally. And you, you're not even conscious that you're making the bad decisions. Um, like that's one of the things I've noticed. Like you're, it's like you're sleepwalking through life, you know, because, because you're not, not even really entering your highest level of, of um, in the moment present consciousness. Like you, you get to a chronically enough deprived state of, of sleep and you know, you're, you're not your best self. You probably, you're probably exercising poor emotional control which is damaging your relationships um and you're you're putting the maximum effort out in into your life to get the least return on it right because yeah, that's crazy yeah and and there's just there's no there's no way around it i like you do you should do the absolute best you can to make sure that that gets shored up um and also this this actually reminded me of a really important point about eating and about 
about success on a, especially on a diet to lose fat. If you're underslept and you're underhydrated and you're snacking at night, right? Address those things because a lot of times hunger and, and, and dehydration will, will, um, lead you to, to, or sorry, dehydration and lack of sleep will lead you to feel or to think you're hungry. You'll be, you'll go for food when what you really need is some water and to hit the, hit the sack. Yeah. Yep. Definitely. So if that's um, a constant problem, address that first. Yes, agree. Um, and I think there's, there's a, some kind of misinformation spread. Like I, I, I see that there are, there's a lot of people saying about, you know, you need to get up at 5am or whatever, or you need to do this at this time or Margaret Thatcher only, only slept four hours a night and ran the country and the, you know, ran, ran the UK, uh, whether you like her or, or hate her. Um, so yeah, there, there's kind of like this macho image about crushing it with no sleep. Um, and it's, it's really false. It's really a lie. Um, because yep. I don't think anyone is capable of performing optimally if they sacrifice sleep. Well, and there's going to be outliers, right? There's on every bell curve, there's always the outliers, but you should absolutely not structure your life around the people that are the mutants on either end of the curve, right? Like if, if you know somebody who does really well in four hours of sleep, that is not, there's no reason to believe that's replicable in your own life. So like, not a good way to structure it. You'd be better off, you know, finding somebody who's more like you and structuring your life around that basis. Like w wishing won't make it so. You won't just because you your favorite personality does really great on or claims to do really great on a few hours of sleep. That's not transferable to you. Like you don't have their genetics, you don't have their their stress levels, you don't, you know, you're not the same age as them, all those things like that's that's one of the biggest mistakes I think people make is they just think if they just wish they were like somebody else, they could copy everything that they do and it will work. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And it, it goes for not just sleep, for everything. So, you know, there are some people who are just mutants, uh, to use your word, which I liked, um, when it comes to how much muscle they can gain, um, you know. There's, there's that bell curve and then there will be these people who are on the extreme outliers and they just walk in a weight room and look at a few weights and they, they've grown a few more pounds of muscle. Um, and those are the people that um, win bodybuilding competitions. And also they have usually, you know, in the, the pro bodybuilders, it's kind of the worst kept secret in the world that they're all on drugs. Um, but they already were these kind of freaks. So yep. it's not it's not realistic to look at anyone like that and expect the same results. Yeah. Particularly if you're not willing to uh, put yourself through all the things that they're putting themselves through. Right. Like, yeah, I, I mean that that's a, that's definitely a serious, uh, a serious issue out there that uh, comparison is the thief of joy. It's totally true. Like who cares if you're at the bottom or the top of the bell curve for when it comes to things as essential as, building muscle for your for your health your longevity and your and your you know mental state of mind you're going to benefit from it anyway how much you benefit you won't know until you do it and until you do it for a long time correctly so don't worry about yeah. 
where anyone else ended up. Just worry about you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>